Okay, so this episode is gonna be about humans, uh, and like the ways that humans are different from other animals, uh, or if they are, and is this recording? Yeah, it is. Okay. So, <laughs> as far as we know, anatomically modern humans, which that means that their bodies are exactly the same as our bodies, so basically nothing has changed since then. Those first appeared like 200,000 years ago. And humans are animals. There's nothing unique about us in that sense. We're just as similar to other animals. Or not just as similar, but like classificationally, we are just like a jellyfish or like a lobster or an elephant or a bird. Are jellyfish animals? Are animals. Okay, we're fine. So, humans are like just any other animal, basically. But there's also something different about humans, clearly. You know, like we're smart and whatever. Obviously, part of that is that we just have a bias to want to believe that humans are special. Right? Like, because we are humans, obviously, we'd like to think that there's something about us that makes us better than other animals, even if there was proof that we weren't. And there is definitely some proof that we are different from other animals. Like, some of it's pretty obvious, and we'll get to that in, like, five minutes. But there's also plenty of reason to think that, like, it could just be our own biases. Not, like I said, like us wanting to think that we're unique. For example, the average individual person's IQ, and I know IQ is like terrible as a measure of intelligence, and it's also like racist in its origin, and it sucks a lot as like a measure of anything. Maybe I'll make an episode about that. But the average person's IQ is exactly 100. That's like the definition of IQ, is that 50% of people have an IQ that's above 100, and 50% of people have an IQ that's below 100. So the average person's IQ is 100, but there was a study that asked 5,000 Americans what they thought that their IQ was, and 65% of people thought that their IQ was above 100. So even though only 50% of them actually were. So clearly, humans have a pretty big tendency to want to overestimate our own abilities, to think that we're better than we actually are. And another little fun fact that I remember from that study is that men were significantly more likely to overestimate their intelligence than women. So like women were more accurate in assessing themselves. Men were less realistic, basically, and thought that they were much better than they actually were compared to women. Both overestimated it, but like men overestimated it more. It's kind of funny. But anyways, there's some evidence to suggest that humans might just think that we're special because we are humans. So we want to believe that we're special, even if maybe we're not. Part of the reason that we think that is that, like, since we are humans, obviously we know what it's like to be a human. So we are aware of, like, the full extent of human abilities, right? 
we know that humans process language and think, have complex thoughts and imaginations and written language and whatever, but we don't know that about other animals. It's possible that we don't know that because they just aren't as smart as us, but it's also possible that we don't know if they were, theoretically, as smart as us. We wouldn't know that because we don't look we don't know exactly what it's like to be an octopus or a dolphin or a chimpanzee or an iguana. So even if they were just as smart as us, we would have no idea about it. And they're probably not. Like, there's pretty solid evidence that we are smarter than them. But just like philosophically, there are some pretty good arguments. But like beyond pure just imagining different reasons why we wouldn't be as smart as we think, which is what I've been doing for like 10 minutes. If you just look at like reality, what's actually going on, it's pretty obvious that something about humans is definitely unique in some way. It's kind of hard to identify exactly what that is, and it's even harder to identify like exactly when it happened. Right? Like, did humans become unique from other animals when we invented agriculture? No, it's definitely not that point, because other animals have agriculture. Not like human agriculture. But there are animals that, like... I mean, what is agriculture? In a way, agriculture is symbiosis. Different species, but cooperating together. Like, this is an established relationship between both of their species as a whole that exists for thousands of different individuals, right? And that's something that happens all the time in nature is mutually beneficial to both animals. So it makes sense once it happened, it would keep happening if it's possible because it's beneficial to both of them. That's how natural selection works. And humans essentially have a symbiotic relationship with wheat and corn and all of that in that humans plant wheat and every other plant just i'm just using wheat as like an example but like cauliflower humans plant cauliflower and they plant tons of it and we allow that cauliflower to grow as much as possible because we want it to grow as much as possible and we spread its seed as far as possible because we want more cauliflower and if you're a cauliflower obviously cauliflower can't actually think and all of this stuff but like in the sense of evolution and natural selection it is beneficial for the cauliflower to spread as far as possible to produce more cauliflower or to have more cauliflower be produced so humans are providing a benefit to the cauliflower and obviously the cauliflower is providing a benefit to us because it's feeding us so that's essentially a symbiotic relationship is what agriculture is and plenty of other animals have that with plenty of plants and also also a part of that relationship is not only are we propagating that cauliflower and like spreading it but we're also protecting it from infections and like bugs and stuff because obviously we don't want our cauliflower getting destroyed because then we can't eat it so we're not only spreading the cauliflower but we're also protecting it so that's definitely a symbiotic relationship and like i said I've said this like five times and I haven't gotten to the actual point yet, but plenty of other animals have symbiotic relationships with plants, essentially agriculture. So agriculture doesn't make humans unique. Other animals practice agriculture. Like for example, if you've ever heard of leaf cutter ants, they're ants that harvest leaves from trees and plants and then they gather all those leaves together and they use the leaves to grow a fungus that grows on those specific types of leaves 
and they grow as much of the fungus as they can and they protect it from pests and other mold and stuff and parasites. They make sure that none of that gets into the leaves and the fungus. And then they feed the fungus to the ant babies, and they use the fungus to eat. Like, they're literally practicing agriculture, these ants. So, like, this isn't something that just humans do. So that's not what makes us unique. It's not agriculture. And that's sort of the first thing that people say when you ask, what do you think makes humans unique from animals? And they're like, oh, obviously farming. Because we're all taught sort of that, like, farming was the big revolution that changed everything when we invented farming. But I don't think that's the case. Is It's not farming. But one thing that I do think about is different about humans and other animals is, like, okay, so if you take, like, a thousand leaf cutter ants, and you sit them down somewhere, and you wait 200,000 years. Over those 200,000 years, nothing changes. Leafcutter ants still cutting leaves, still farming leaves to make fungus to feed themselves, still doing the exact same thing that they've always done 200,000 years later. Maybe they've gotten slightly better at it. Maybe they found a better type of leaf. Maybe they got slightly faster at walking and gathering leaves over those 200,000 years. But basically, not much has changed. They're doing the same thing that they always have. But humans, in the past 200,000 years, have gone from hunting and gathering for 150,000 of those years is just hunting and gathering. And at some point, we, I mean, we discovered fire way before that. Actually, when did we discover fire? Obviously, you can't discover fire, but we discovered how to harness fire. No one, no one discovered fire. Like, forest fires have always been a thing. Humans knew fire existed, but we discovered how to create fire and use it. Um, when did humans discover fire, people? Two million years ago. Okay. So actually, before Homo sapiens was even a thing, um, relatives of humans actually discovered how to use fire. What was the point of that? Hold on. Oh yeah, 200,000 years. So in 200,000 years, humans went from, oh, we have fire and stuff, and we hunt and gather, and we cook our food, and we went all the way from there to inventing religion that spread across entire continents, to having kings and feudalism, um, building pyramids, and wars. We invented war, and vaccines, refrigerators, differential calculus. Humans have made, like, an astonishing amount of progress and completely revolutionized everything in our 200,000 years. No other animal does that. No other animal changes that quickly. And, like, really, it's not even humans changing. It's not like humans evolve faster than other animals. Like I said, anatomically modern humans, humans that look and were anatomically the same, as modern humans have existed for 200,000 years. That's why I use 200,000 years, is that nothing physically about humans has changed in 200,000 years. Our bodies are the same, our heads are shaped the same. It's actually one of the most common markers of evolution in primates, is like their head shape, because that for some reason changes a lot. But our head shape is exactly the same as it was 200,000 years ago, and our brains are essentially exactly the same. The most recently that our brains changed significantly was actually when we invented fire. And I'll come back to that later, about how interesting the invention of fire was. But basically, humans are very good at 
progress in a way that no other animal is. And I think a large part of that is that humans are uniquely good at, like, I mean, what is progress? Progress is change for the better over a long time scale, right? So we're like progressing, getting better at something, inventing something new, creating new ideas over long time scales, building upon what's already there. I think that's a big part of it, is building upon what's already there to create something new. So like, what's a good example of that? Um, I don't know, like pizza, right? We have bread, and we have tomatoes, and we had cheese. Cheese is wild. I love cheese. And we made something completely new out of it. And then we developed that further. And we had like thin crust pizza and like deep dish pizza and Hawaiian pizza. Hawaiian pizza is really interesting. I heard an essay about Hawaiian pizza once. Humans have like a unique capacity to create progress and have projects that span multiple lifetimes and we do that through collaboration for the most part. Every human invention has been built upon by something that someone else created, right? Steve Jobs didn't really invent the iPhone. I mean, Steve Jobs didn't invent the iPhone at all, but Apple didn't invent the iPhone. The iPhone was invented in its final product by Apple, but like, there's no reason to give all of that credit to one person, because that's not how humans work. Like, a different person invented computer circuitry, hard drives, and RAM, and LCD screens, cameras that are that small, and like, all of that was invented by different people, and then another group of people coded the software in it, and another group of people figured out how it was gonna look, and another people marketed it. What were we talking about? You get the idea, right? Is that no invention is like the product of one person. No invention is created in one lifetime. No like development or idea is created in one lifetime because it always builds upon what's already there. The iPhone didn't take like 10 years to invent. The iPhone took, I mean, technically 14.6 billion years is how old the universe is. So it took that long to invent the iPhone. Clearly, one person did not do that. Okay. Okay. Also, me from the future here. I meant to say something about capitalism at this point. Basically, this is what capitalists think, is that, like, every invention is created by, like, one individual person. And that's why CEOs deserve to exist and, like, billionaires. It's like a whole Ayn Rand thing. If you don't know who, who Ayn Rand is, Ayn Rand sucks. He sucks so much. He's a terrible person. Like, basically, she thought she had this whole thing she wrote books about how like they're terrible books too like terribly written books but they're all about her philosophy and how like individual people basically are the backbone of society and that's why socialism is bad because like socialism seeks essentially equality for everyone not necessarily equality but like for everyone to at least have something and everyone to be able to survive right but Ayn Rand, her whole thing, and like all other capitalists, basically, and right-wing people generally, think that like, no, of course not everyone deserves to survive, because not everyone is contributing, supposedly. And it's so stupid, because they think like, progress is created by individual people, right? Like, they legitimately do think that Steve Jobs alone created the iPhone, and that, like, Jeff Bezos, it's a whole Jeff Bezos thing, right? Like, from Bo Burnham's thing, the Jeffrey Bezos song. You know what I mean. Like, come on, Jeffrey, you can do it. But, you know, like, it's literally a myth. Like, progress is created by societies as a whole, and, like, 
yes, individuals, but individuals working together collaboratively. And that's what society is. Capitalism is dumb. Anyways, back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Sorry for the introduction. And I think that's what's different about humans, is that sense of like collaboration, and even when we don't know it, we're collaborating. Because we're working with people who died like 200,000 years ago. The iPhone wouldn't have been possible without discovering agriculture. We wouldn't have discovered agriculture if we hadn't invented if we hadn't harnessed fire. So I don't know. I think that's something that makes humans different. Is that level of collaboration. Right. Like I said, like, even when we don't know that we're collaborating, even if we don't think we're collaborating actively with other people, we are essentially collaborating because we're building off of what was already there. Over multiple lifetimes, we do that, is what I think distinguishes us the most. Yeah, and like the other thing that makes humans different is our brains, right? So obviously we wouldn't be able to do that if our brains weren't the way that they were. And there are very clear structural differences between the brains of other animals and the brains of humans. And obviously all animals have structural differences in their brains. But humans, I don't know enough about the structure of the brain to like talk more about that specifically. But what I do remember from various things is that fire was very important in that. And I mentioned that earlier, and I said that I would talk about it later. And now it's later. So fire was very cool because fire essentially revolutionized the way that we eat food. I don't know if you're aware. Cooked meat has way more energy that we can harness than raw meat has. Cooking a lot of stuff increases not only the amount of available energy, but also the amount of available nutrients and like, and what really determines the amount of energy that we can get from something is our body's ability to process it. Raw meat contains a lot of energy, but in that form, we can't harness the vast majority of that energy because the proteins aren't arranged in a way that allows us to break them down. And when you're heating something up, when you're cooking it, in the case of meat especially, what you're doing is refolding and reorganizing those proteins in a way that's easier for humans to digest. The fact that we can cook meat, like, basically triples the amount of energy that you can get from a single animal. So, like, you kill a deer, 100,000 years ago, it has plenty of energy if you eat that raw meat, and that's fine. But if you then cook that meat, you have three times as much energy that you can get from the same amount of meat with essentially no work. Like, it doesn't take that much work to cook a deer over a fire. So you're using very little energy to create a ton more energy, and that is very, very good biologically. If you've ever heard, like, the thing where Oh, celery has zero calories, and it's a zero-calorie food, or like a negative-calorie food. Uh, the reason people say that, even though it's not actually true, is because celery, because it's like such a weird thing, like it's so stringy, you know? Supposedly, it takes a ton of energy to digest celery, so because you're using so much energy in digesting the celery, and because it's not that act with energy in itself, you're getting less energy out of it than you're using to eat it, supposedly. That's not actually true. It turns out that actually it doesn't take that much energy to digest celery. But 
that's still like how it works, right? Like it takes a certain amount of energy to get more energy. And with cooked meat, that balance is much more beneficial than it is with raw meat. So like cooked meat and raw meat take essentially the same amount of energy to produce or to get to acquire, but cooked meat gives you way more energy for the same price. Not only that, but obviously the reason we cook meat nowadays um, is mostly because of disease. Disease is bad. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, this is gonna be so fun to edit. This is a very disorganized podcast. Um, the future episodes will probably be better than this. <sighs> Anyways, fire. Um, yeah, the time in the fossil record when our brains start dramatically getting like much more complex and bigger correlates very well with roughly the time in the fossil record with when we discovered fire. So there's significant anthropological and archaeological evidence that fire is what enabled us to have such big brains. And that's very important, and it makes a lot of sense because uh, brains consume a ton of energy. Something like, I don't know, I'd have to look up the exact number, but like a huge percentage of the food, of the energy that you eat, consume, goes directly to your brain. Maybe it's just like 40%, I think, just gets used by your brain because they're like very complex and very demanding resource-wise. So it takes a lot of energy to be able to have such big brains. And the reason why humans were able to do it is essentially just because of fire. Because like I said, fire enables us to have a lot more energy with the same amount of food. So it's the same amount of hunting, three times as much energy, suddenly. So when you have the same body as you did before, and you have the same cost of hunting as you did before, and nothing about your lifestyle changes, but suddenly you have three times as much energy available to you. Obviously, what evolution is going to do, use that to, because the best use of that energy now is you have a pretty good body, energy-wise. Not energy-wise, but, like, in terms of evolution from the lifestyle that humans had 100,000 years ago, our body is already pretty well optimized. Like, there's not a ton of improvements that can be made, just biologically, functionally. But the brain has a lot of room to grow back then, and it did. We used that extra energy that was available to us. Not we used. That makes it sound like it was like a conscious decision. Evolution. Evolution used that energy for bigger brains. So fire was essentially what enabled us to have this much capacity for like thought. It was literally just fire. I mean, not just fire, but it was a big, big development in our history. It was fire. My outline stops here, but I have more thoughts. Another thing that I think makes humans different from other animals is religion. As far as we know, other animals don't have religions, and honestly, good for them, but <laughs> humans do, and sort of I mean, what are religions? What are religions? <laughs> Stories, honestly. And I think that that's actually, I think that'll be our next episode, is religion. I think that's pretty interesting too. And, hmm, edit that part out.
as far as we know, religion is unique among humans. Um, and not just religion, but like other types of ideas like that. Do ants, I don't know why ants are always my example. Do iguanas have politics, a minimum wage, and I mean ants have jobs. Siphonophores, oh, well siphonophores are complicated. That's not the best example. Hmm. What is society? This is very unorganized. Just like society. I think this is a good place to stop this podcast. <laughs> Next time, I will talk about religion. Definitely. And my thoughts on religion and, like, what is religion? And, um, yeah. What else do I need to cover? Some ways that humans are not different from other animals. Recognizing ourselves. Have trauma. Actually, there's a very interesting study in caterpillars. I'm going to talk about this very briefly. There was a very interesting study that showed that caterpillars and butterflies share the same memory. So, like, if you inflict trauma onto a caterpillar, if you, like, show it something, like, really scary, traumatize the caterpillar, and then the caterpillar goes into its chrysalis and whatever, and it metamorphoses, metamorpha, whatever, and it becomes a butterfly, and then you show that same thing to a butterfly to, like, remind it of that experience, the butterfly will act, like, very clearly traumatized. And we can basically prove through traumatizing caterpillars that butterflies remember what it was like to be a caterpillar. So that's pretty interesting. Because, like, how does that even work? A chrysalis it literally is literally just a bunch of goo. Like, how does a caterpillar dissolve into goo and then completely reform and still have its memories intact? That's pretty wild. Um, anyways, some other things. Uh, self-recognition is not unique among humans. We've shown, like, octopuses and stuff, mirrors, and they very clearly, like, recognize themselves in the mirror. Plenty of animals don't have self-recognition. Like, birds. Birds are terrible. I recognize them themselves. We know that, right? Like, they'll slam into windows because they think that they're attacking another bird, you know? And so that's pretty sad. But octopuses can recognize themselves. And, like, there are bacteria that can solve mazes in order to get to food. Actually, are they bacteria? I don't know. There's this organism called, called slime mold. It's very interesting. It's, like, very... It's a very well-studied... Or, like, not well-studied, but it's... Scientists talk about slime mold a lot because it's very interesting because it has, like, this isn't the only thing it can do. This is the only one that I'm going to talk about. Otherwise, I'll be here talking about slime mold for another 20 minutes and I don't want to do that. But it can basically solve mazes. It's slime, but made out of mold. So obviously it's like a bunch of different little cells that function together as a colony. And that colony can, you know, like, expand and change its shape as slime or just, like, goop. And if you put it on one end of a maze and you put some of its food at the end of the maze, it will solve the maze to find the most efficient path to the food. So I think that's pretty cool. That, like, it basically knows how to solve a maze. Yeah, I don't know. And there are plenty of things that other animals can do that humans can't cognitively. Are there? Mostly it's just physical abilities. I mean, we wouldn't really know, actually. Anyways, uh, that's the end of this episode. Yep. So, 
next episode will hopefully be slightly more organized. Um, I think I'm going to try to make an outline in advance of like the things that I want to hit on. That'll be good because I keep like forgetting what I'm talking about and deviating from tangents and whatever. So yeah, this was very disorganized. Um, it's gonna be probably pretty painful to edit. Uh, but I think the audio quality should probably be pretty good. It's anything like the audio test episode zero should be pretty good. I turn off the air conditioning in the house that there wouldn't be any background noise. So I'm going to turn the air conditioning back on now in a minute, and that'll be very nice. <sighs> Other than that, I think that's it. Thank you. I'm going to edit this now. Uh, this is an hour and three minutes of raw audio before I edit it. So we'll see how much that comes out to. Probably, I'm estimating like 40 minutes. I think there's definitely like 20 minutes where I was just not making anything that said that was any sense. There's got to be like a solid 20 minutes in there that was just silence when I was trying to think of what to say. Or I got like distracted. So yeah. Cool. Thanks. Jason Derulo.